I'm pleased to welcome our State of the State panel here. If you aren't familiar with them, you need to get to know them. They are wonderful people and they offer services to us that keep us going in this life. The first person I have to introduce is Danielle Miller. She is with Washington Talking Book and Braille Library, better known as Watabo, W-T-B-B-L. So I'll let Danielle take it from here. Thank you, Kim. Gosh, I'm so glad to be here. It is so great to see you. And this is just one of my favorite times of the year. So it's so good to be in person. And hello to everyone on Zoom and ACB radio. So there's been a lot happening this past year at Watabel, and we're always trying to do things that provide you the best library service possible. Some of you may have heard that this past year, Watabel was recognized as the NLS Network Library of the Year for 2022. So this is the third time in 14 years that this has been an award for Watabel, and we're the only library to have the award three times. And this is so much because of you guys. It's your support and your advocacy and our passion to provide services for you. So you should feel very proud of all of you do and feel proud of your library. In the past year, we circulated over 410,000 digital talking book titles through our duplication on demand service, getting you the books that you wanna read. And more and more people have been downloading from BARD and using the BARD mobile app. I'm also excited to say that Braille circulation has increased largely due to our new Braille e-readers. We currently have 130 e-readers checked out to patrons and we have plenty more available. So if you've been waiting or thinking about it or want one, please contact the library and we can get you a braille e-reader. So we can get you set up with that. But another way you can get your braille and keep reading is through the very cool new NLS braille on demand program. So if you haven't heard about that, you can get five Braille books a month that they emboss on demand for you, and you can keep these. Wow. So these are your own Braille books. Wow. And this is a great thing if you have a favorite book you want to keep and read over and over again, or a reference book like a cookbook or a craft book. If you have space in your house, start piling up that Braille. It's there for you to wow. keep. Wow. Yeah. Um, so all you need to do is fill out a simple request form or contact the library and we can help you order those books. I'm also really excited about our partnership with DSB's Independent Living Program to loan CCTVs. This is a pilot program. Well, it's not a pilot program. It's a full-on program, but we started it earlier this year with 39 CCTVs and they all went out within just a couple weeks. And it's been so successful that the IL program purchased 30 more CCTVs that we've got in our inventory now. And we are loaning those out currently. Patrons just have to become a client of the IL program and then they can borrow a CCTV through their Watabel account. So if that's something you're interested in or wanna tell somebody about, they get started through the IL program and then come to us. And it's a very cool service. Our youth services program has also been really busy. This past summer, we had our largest enrollment in the, in the summer reading program that we've ever had with almost 70 kids participating. The theme was an ocean of possibilities. And Aaron had programs all around the state, including visiting aquariums, an estuarium, doing a swimming program, 
and all sorts of other cool things. We also held our Braille Challenge virtually, which was really, we found more inclusive because it's easier for kids around the state to participate and we can even have kids from Oregon included. And we'll be doing that again this year. I believe the date is February 4th. So watch for signups for that. We have our pen pal program underway and going strong and there are more programs and collections on the way. We've also been getting more and more books than ever from NLS as the production increases and their partnerships with commercial vendors grow. Also more books in world languages are getting added to the collection through the Marrakesh Treaty, which is really wonderful. But work has also been happening in our local production departments. In the audiobook production department, we added over 100 new audiobooks, completed and uploaded to BARD, including books produced by our new remote narration program. And there are currently 521 books currently in various stages of production, if you can believe that. And in the Braille department, they finished over 25 Braille books and have 100 titles in production. So those volunteers in those departments are working really hard. An exciting thing that we're adding to our audiobook production department is a new podcasting and video casting program. So we're always looking at ways to expand our offerings and have current and meaningful programming for you. So we just hired a new staff person who's starting on November 7th, who's going to lead that podcasting program. We have new equipment on the way and we're upgrading our broadcast booth. So we're really excited about the types of programming we can have as podcasts. We wanna have you involved. We wanna talk to you guys and think about ways we can collaborate on different streams of programming. So stay tuned and I'd love to hear your ideas. Also in audiobook production, we just completed the statewide voters pamphlet. So that is available in audio to you as we do every year. And it's really exciting that we've been collaborating with you on producing Newsline and audio. So we're really excited about that partnership. I hope you've enjoyed the last couple issues. And as always, your feedback is welcome on that. We've been ramping up outreach again, doing lots of tabling events at health fairs and senior fairs and getting out to retirement homes and care facilities again. And another new program we have in our outreach department is discovery passes. We have two discovery passes available through a program called Checkout Washington. So you can borrow these passes and they give you free entry to lands managed by Washington State Parks, Washington State Department of Natural Resources and Department of Fish and Wildlife. We do have books about hikes, hikes with dogs, hikes you can take around Washington. You can go to a state park and have a picnic. So um, if you want, check out these passes. It's, a, it's another thing we want to have you have an option of trying. And our outreach librarian, Riley, has also created a wonderful series of memory kits that have books on a theme and tactile elements and discussion questions that activity directors at retirement homes and care facilities can check out to use with their residents. The idea is they'll use these with patrons experiencing dementia or other memory issues who can talk about them while recalling past events. The kits encourage the participants to communicate and interact in the present. So those are out now. Um, we've got 11 kits and we're working on some more on all sorts of cool themes. We've been doing a book club this past year, a virtual book club. It's gone okay, but we'd like to do better. So we're gonna try a new way next year. We really want you to be involved. We want it to be a very patron driven book club with you running it and our librarians just helping facilitate it. So watch our, 
What's that? What, Jeannie? I don't know. You pick the books. That's the point. We want you to pick the books. <laughs> we want you to pick the books. We want you to lead it. We want you to facilitate it. So watch the newsletter. Contact us if you want to participate. We want to figure out the best times to hold it. We really want it to be a Watauble statewide patron book club. And finally, our patron advisory council. I want to recognize Frank Cuda for his many years of service on the path. He will be leaving PAC at the end of this year. And also Chris Coulter is leaving PAC at the end of this year. And we have five openings. So this is a lot of openings right now. We are looking in particular for a representative who is a veteran, a representative with a physical disability, a representative with a reading disability, and then two general representatives. And the application link and description of what we're looking for was sent out on the Watabo email list a couple weeks ago. And we'll send it out again with a reminder. If you didn't see it, you need it sent to you directly. You can email me or come see me. The application deadline is the 15th of this month. I really encourage you to apply. Love to have you as, as part of the pack. Um, so that's what I've got for you. Again, I'm just thrilled to be here. So great to see you all. And thanks for all you do for the library. Thank you. My next person that I'm introducing is Lisa Wheeler. She's with um, Department of Services for the Blind. Well, I can't tell you how wonderful it is to be here in person. I am so happy to be standing in front of you and speaking at this at this panel, at this podium. I've been attending WCB conventions since I first started at the agency 14 years ago. And um, yeah, a long time. And I feel it's just so nice to be sitting here and you know getting to see familiar faces that I haven't had a chance to connect with in many years and I'm sure that's true for all of us so I'm so glad to be here today. I am the assistant director of vocational rehabilitation and workforce and that's a new title a new position uh, among the executive team so it's okay Kim. <laughs> it's it's new for all of us to get you to so I really appreciate um, the opportunity to, to stand before you and my new role. So I started in this position in 2020, right before the pandemic um, started. And I was appointed by Michael McKillop, who's our executive director, who was the former deputy director. So it's sort of morphed into more of a VR specific uh, assistant director position. Um, but I've been in the position since 2020 and it feels new to me, even though I guess coming up on 2023, it's not really new anymore. Um, but I'm one of the new executives on the team along with Michael. We have an assistant director of HR and training, Tricia Ierly, and we're currently recruiting a new chief financial and operations officer. Um, so there'll be a four member executive team. And again, we're all very new, uh, but that's sort of the trend at the agency. We have a lot of new staff. Um, over half of our managers are new in their roles. And we have over 60% of our vocational rehabilitation counselors are new in the last three years. So there's a, as you can see, we're going through a lot of organizational change. And we are incredibly grateful for WCB leadership for being willing to work with us um, and providing blindness etiquette training. Um, we, it's really, really important that we have staff at the agency who understand adaptive skills and blindness and how critical those skills are towards gaining successful career pathways to employment. 
And so thank you, WCB, for working with us to, to create that context of blindness, which is so critical. Um, many of you may know that we're working predominantly in a hybrid model right now at the agency. We did have to shutter our offices as a state agency for many months, and that was a directive from the governor. Um, and so over time, we were able to, under our own director's guidance, uh, provide services in a way that makes sense safely for our participants and our staff. And we're currently doing that in a hybrid model. We have been providing in-person services to our participants since uh, I probably early 2021. And that started with our rehab teachers and our AT specialists specifically because it's so critical to have in-person assessments and training. We did do the best we could providing virtual services 100% of the time, but it just can't replicate that in-person training and connection with all of you. So um, we're so happy happy that we can be do we've been doing that and we're continuing to do that and we really want to emphasize that it we want to offer in person services where they are necessary but we also really do want to utilize the virtual options for all of you to make it more accessible um, we do send out surveys i'm trying to do it now annually to get feedback from all of you who are participants about what's working for you what can we improve and what we heard from our last survey from many people who uh, replied was that the virtual option was really nice to have, especially for our rural communities in Washington state, getting to the office uh, to have every you know, meeting was a challenge for many people. And with public transportation that has actually declined in certain areas, it's a really nice option. So we want to continue to offer that, but we also want to have the in-person because it just doesn't replace the connection. And so having the option of both is so important and we're really wanting to continue to do that moving forward. We are doing more outreach as things have opened up in 2022 and our White Cane Day uh, events around the state were very successful. And the one in Seattle had about a hundred people attend. It was pretty incredible. And I was there and it was a fabulous event. Um, so kudos to Danielle and also Alice Klein, who's one of our new OTC instructors. Yay, Alice, uh, who organized that event. So it was pretty incredible. I know there were other ones in Eastern Washington and Southwest Washington, and I know they all went off very well as well. Uh, we also have been doing more job fairs. I know Ryan Scott's here from Spokane and was at the WorkSource job fair uh, recently, which actually was on television. So that was excited to see. Um, so we're getting out in the community more and it feels really good. We had in-person youth services this year after years of doing it 100% remote. Um, and that was a really tremendous success. We were a little bit uncertain how that would look and it actually was really great. And so it's been awesome to see a lot of youth here today. I have to say um, we are trending at the agency serving younger participants. So that's our demographic is trending younger and younger. So it's so nice to have you all here sharing your voice, sharing your experiences. And we want to continue to offer those really important events and workshops for all of you. So please let us know what you want and what would be helpful in your career path, gaining those skills. Um, I can share with you a little bit about some of our decision package uh, asks this year. Uh, we ask, we haven't historically asked a lot from the legislature at our agency for funding related to specific you know, programming. Um, however, now with um, you know, a lot of need, <laughs> we're asking a little bit more. 
Uh, we've asked for the some funds for in this package that just um, went forward this September, some funds for our independent living program. And I know Kim Cannon was here yesterday speaking to that, so I don't want to completely uh, revisit what she was sharing, but we're asking for funds to recruit and compensate for more independent living providers. We've lost former providers over the past several years due to retirements, and we have to implement wait lists during that, you know, statewide. So we really want to acquire additional funds to recruit and compensate providers and not have wait lists. And so that's something that we're asking for. I know Danielle talked about um, our University of Washington and Wetabel partnership to get out equipment. Um, and we're super excited about that. Um, and so for independent living, we're hoping we can get some funds to continue to provide really valuable services statewide and not have wait lists. We also asked for funds for our business enterprise program. I don't know if you all know, but it's uh, the pandemic wrecked havoc on business enterprise program. Um, with all the government buildings shuttering, a lot of our operators have been out of business this whole time. And we've, has, we've had to ask for funding for not only a program remodel, um, but also to have some rent relief during the time because our operators just are not able to uh, earn a profit to pay rent. Uh, but we use this time predominantly to think about how we can remodel and revision the program. The cafeteria cafe model just isn't really the state of food service anymore. And especially now with the hybrid model and the workforce, people want to come to the office a few days a week and grab some food and go. Um, and so we really needed to determine what was needed and we asked for funds for a construction project and it actually was granted, which was very exciting. Um, so now we're in the process of implementation. And so we don't have operators really working currently, except on our federal sites predominantly. There are a few other sites that are exception, but for most of our operators, they're still not working. And so now we'll be potentially out of work even longer because we're actually doing this construction remodel project. So we're asking for more funding because we had to hire a project manager. Uh, we have a great business enterprise program team, but they're not construction project managers. <laughs> so we, were, we we realized, oh my goodness, this is really critical for this project. So we asked for um, some funds to continue to work with the project manager that we hired this spring. And we also are asking for more funding because inflation and the, and the shipping and sales tax, everything's gone up almost double in some of these cases. So we just, the funds that we were provided, which we're thankful for, just haven't been enough to do a complete remodel for the whole program. So we're asking for more and we're hoping that we can get that. Uh, for our youth programs, we're fully staffed. We're fully in person, like I mentioned before, and we've had great turnouts and our events. And we're now really focusing on year-round opportunities, um, not just summer programs, but year-round opportunities. Uh, we had. Uh, like I said, a majority of our youth attended in person, which has been fabulous. We have youth track here at the convention, and we also will have a youth track at the National Federation for the Blind Convention. And that's where we've been putting some really extra focus this year is having our youth get introduced to consumer groups. We had a group go to um, the National Federation for the Blind National Convention this year, and we're going to be having youth go to ACB next year. So we're, yeah, we're very excited about that. Yes. 
So it's been a tremendous opportunity for our youth to have that exposure, to have those job readiness uh, ex orientations, experiences, well, really looking at self-advocacy from a consumer lens. So we're super happy to provide that through the pre-employment transition services. Um, we did have our audit this spring from the Rehabilitation Service Administration, and that was the first time since 2015 um, so it'd been a long time, yeah. And, and that actually was the first time we were audited since the Workforce Innovation and Opportunity Act, WIOA, if you've heard of that, which really changed a lot about how vocational rehabilitation is coordinated from the agency. And so uh, we really got a lot of information about our youth services in particular. And unfortunately, we were disdirected to discontinue providing pre-employment transition services to our nine to 13 year olds, which we've have provided for years previously in our child and family program. So as of July of this year, we're no longer able to provide services to that age group, which is a really painful transition for us at the agency. And we're seeking funding from the state also to provide services to that age group again. And we won't know if that actually comes through until next year. But we know that providing job readiness to those students and to that age group is really critical for long-term success, excuse me. So we're really committed to seeing that through. And I think that I've probably used more than my time. So I don't know, thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Next, I have the pleasure of introducing Scott McCallum. And he is the superintendent of the Washington State School for the Blind. And welcome, Scott. All right. This is, this is awesome to be back here with all of you. It, it is really nice to be here and see so many students and families here. I also saw that when I was at NFB this summer. So thank you, DSB. And we have the three-time award-winning Talking Book and Braille Library in the state. That's fantastic. And uh, Thank you to President Bannon uh, for inviting all of us to be here with you today. My name, uh, in case you didn't catch it, is Scott McCallum, and I have the wonderful honor of serving as the superintendent for the Washington State School for the Blind. Um, it's great here to be here with all of you, and I'm noticing so many former and current WSSB students, so shout out to all of you. It's nice to see you folks in the audience. Right on. Yesterday, uh, President Bannon mentioned that Jolene Ferguson had stepped down from her post on the WSSB ex-officio board representing the Washington Council of the Blind. Uh, I know that Jolene wasn't able to be here with us all in person today, but she is joining us remotely. And so I wanted to take this time to recognize and thank Jolene, <clears throat> excuse me, for her many years of service to WSSB Board of Trustees. Uh, I have a plaque here, which I will mail to you. Uh, the plaque has both print and braille, and it reads, WSSB, which has our logo at the top. In appreciation, the Washington State School for the Blind presents this award to Jolene Ferguson, Board of Trustees, ex-officio board member, Washington Council of the Blind, March 2015 to June 2020. Jolene will get that award to you. And those of you who know Jolene know that her, uh, her in, uh, relationship with the school started many, many, many years before that. In fact, years before I was actually even born. So thank you, Jolene. It's been a pleasure working with you. I'd also like to take this opportunity to recognize and thank Reg George uh, for his years of service on our board. Reg served on the WSSB board advisory board of trustees representing Congressional District 4. I also have a plaque for you, Reg, and I will deliver it to you. Uh, I see you out in the audience. For those of you uh, who know Reg, best dressed guy here at WCB. 
He's got the coolest shirt on today. It's got a bunch of rainbow-colored eyeglasses. Uh, anyway, it looks phenomenal. But this plaque, Reg, also has print and braille, has our logo at the top and says, in appreciation, the Washington State School for the Blind presents this award to Reginald George, Board of Trustees, Congressional District 4, February 2018 to June 2022. Thank you, Reg. And at this time, I'd also like to recognize and thank Kim Moberg. Kim is our new and wonderful representative of WCB, and she serves on our ex officio board at WSSB and takes that space that Jolene vacated. So thank you, Kim, and we look forward to working with you. It's been a pleasure working with you already. And like last year, I'm going to use this opportunity to beg. I'm going to beg for a little bit of help. Uh, we want you on our board. And so as you noticed, we have some open board seats and we have some open board seats that I talked to you all about last year. And so if you're interested in serving on our WSSB advisory board, we do need individuals who re reside in congressional districts one, four, nine, and 10. Our board meets six times a year. There are four meetings that are remote only and two have an in-person option. So you don't actually have to go to the school, but it is really nice to visit. Our meetings typically only last about two hours, and there's recently passed legislation that does allow for WSSB to provide compensation for those with lived experience. That means all of you, or most of you, I should say, in the audience, um, as long as you're not otherwise being compensated for attending the meetings. So please think about serving on our board. We need you. Um, and if you are in District 1, that means you're probably in Whatcom's Gadget, Snohomish, uh, or the one-third of King County. So if you live in cities like Everett, Mount Vernon, Sammamish, Snohomish, please consider applying for that board seat. Congressional District 4 is the one that Reg vacated recently, and it's made up of Yakima, Benton, Grant, Adams, Franklin, Walla Walla, and Okanagan counties. If you live in or around Tri-Cities, Moses Lake, Yakima, uh, those spaces, please consider applying for that board seat. Congressional District 9 is a narrow strip of the Puget Sound region from Tacoma to Bellevue. And if you live in Federal Way, Kent, Renton, SeaTac, or Seattle, please consider applying for that board seat. I would really love to have you folks on my board. Uh, and finally, Congressional District 10 is open, and that is made up of portions of Thurston, Pierce, and Mason counties. And so if you live in or around Olympia in cities like Tumwater, Lacey, Fife, Puyallup, Tenino, or University Place, please, please, please consider applying for one of those board seats. Uh, if you're interested, you do um, have to fill out an application that is available on the governor's boards and commissions website. A full term on the board is five years, and you can do two terms consecutively if you are so brave. Um, no, it's a really wonderful board to, to be a part of. But I bet you're all wondering what the heck is going on at WSSB, and there is a lot. It's really wonderful right now. Uh, we had a really large incoming class of young people it was a strange mix, though, because we had a number of really like older students, juniors and seniors, and then a number of sixth graders. And so there's there's quite a divide at our school in just in terms of age. But it, it's it's nice to have a whole bunch of new people. But having so new so many new students all at once um, and trying to figure out what what the appropriate array of supports and assessments and services that each of those students needs to thrive at our school is quite challenging in this early part of the school year. And uh, as you can imagine, teachers are already stressed. Um, we were lucky to get uh, full staffing, but we had quite a bit of turnover. So that, that uh, impacts everything as well. Many of those new incoming students this year are, are participating in our residential program options because they live such uh, distances away from the school. So what that is leading to is our dorms are filling up for the first time in a long time. And so we have a couple cottages that are at capacity and it's put a damper on our short course programs because we lack some of that open spacing available for them. 
Now there's transitions that happen during the school year so that we may or may not be able to bring that back. But like most school districts I mentioned, we experienced a fairly large turnover in staffing. And since COVID started, we've probably seen about a quarter of our staff that are all new at the school. Uh, and so that's taken a lot of training, a lot of support. Um, there's a new energy on campus, uh, some new folks, but, but we embrace it as an opportunity and our students embrace it as well. Uh, you've probably heard me talking about our transition center that we've been working on at the, at the school. That transition center is, well, in transition. Um, for as long as I've been superintendent, WSSB has been engaged with some aspect of gathering the support and resources to build that facility that centers around the needs of young adults who participate in our learning independence for today and tomorrow transition program. LIFT is a transition program that we do hand-in-hand uh, -hand with DSB, so thank you to DSB for all of your support for that. That building is underway. The second floor of that new building will be dedicated to DSB. And so you, if you are a DSB client in Southwest Washington, there will be a new building for you all to travel to. It does have a main floor entrance. They have a beautiful two-story entrance that is being developed. And so you have easy access to the elevator or the stairs. I'm working really hard to get Braille wallpaper put in that. DSB doesn't even know that, but I found Braille wallpaper and it has really cool messages. So I'm working hard to get that put in there. But we're currently in the space or, or the, the phase of this project where we're picking out furniture, fixtures, and artwork. Uh, we have to work with the State Arts Commission as part of that project. It's been a very interesting process working with the State Arts Commission. They actually have embraced our insistence on accessible arts and that all of the art that they're going to put in these new buildings will be touched. They're not usually very cool with that, but we had to convince them that that's how it has to be. We also told them that we would like to privilege uh, blind artists. So if there are any blind artists out there, uh, we want art from them. And they worked with us on this. And so they presented six different artists or art from six different artists to us. Three of those artists happen to be blind. And so we will very proudly feature uh, art from blind artists in that new building as well. So it's all coming along. The expected uh, date of completion is March of 2023. I don't believe them. I'm going to think it's, I believe it's actually going to be about April, but I've seen them push dates back and back and back. Um, but March is what they're telling us as of today. Uh, so hopefully that's the case. And that will mean that our Lyft students that are in the, the program this year will get the experience of moving in and out and in and out again. And so that'll be kind of cool for them. They will have a beautiful, beautiful new building to move into that I imagine they're pretty excited. Uh, another new program that is coming to WSSB um, is what's called the CAT. It stands for the Center, Center for Assistive Technology Training. We are getting the Northwest version of that. We have been tapped by the American Printing House for the Blind in collaboration with the Alabama Institute for the Deaf and Blind to establish the nation's second regional CAT Center. It will be in the Northwest. Uh, Congress has provided the funding for this through the American Printing House. And with the purpose of expanding a model that was established by the great minds and efforts of folks at the Alabama Institute for the Deaf and Blind. And so that is being set up to support the needs of professionals in states throughout the Southeast. They set that up to set up these programs in the Southeast region. We're gonna have the Northeast region. And so we'll be providing training um, primarily targeted at teachers of students who are blind or low vision, but can also extend to other education professionals, parents and pre-service professionals. The resources for that program are already in place and um, those being trained will be provided with direct and ongoing access to those APH devices. So when we go train somebody on how to set up a new APH embosser, we not only train them on that, we're actually gonna give them an embosser to keep. 
And that way they can use that embosser ongoing and really know the ins and outs of it. Um, our Northwest region is kind of exciting. We've just posted the leadership position for that. So CAT Northwest will provide training and support to those folks across Washington, Oregon, Idaho, Montana, uh, Wyoming, Alaska, Hawaii, Guam, Northern Mariana Islands, and American Samoa. So all of that will be happening through the Washington State School for the Blind. I'm really proud to tell you all about that today. You're the first group I get to tell that to other than our own staff. So that's really, really exciting stuff. So as you can imagine, we're just setting up this program. We are seeking to hire a program coordinator right now. That position is posted. If that's something you're interested in, um, you can find that position posted on our website. We will then also be hiring full-time trainers to go around and train the folks in all of those states and U.S. territories. The job is primarily remote in that people can, the, all those jobs are primarily remote and that they can work from home in some places. However, we'll also be sending people to, you know, Guam, American Samoa, Hawaii. So if you're interested in traveling to places like that, you might be interested in one of those jobs. So all in all, it's a great time to be a WSSB lion. We have so many exciting efforts and developments underway. We also are very, very appreciative of the collaborative work that we get to do with our partners up here and um, the so often awarded Talking Book and Braille Library and our great friends from the uh, Department of Services for the Blind. Thank you. Thank you to WCB for the opportunity to provide this update. I hope the rest of your convention is filled with useful information, friendship, and good times. Right on. Be well, my friends. Um, my question is for you, Scott. Uh, can you talk a little bit about, um, this is Bob Cavanaugh, by the way. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what is going to happen with the space that the DSB office and LIFT program is currently in? Yeah, great question. Uh, and Bob, I should recognize Bob. Bob represented WCB at the uh, track meet this year. We had a whole bunch of resources. So thank you, Bob, for being there. So the space that DSB and LIFT currently occupy, I'll start with DSB. Um, with them moving to the new space, what we hope to do is modify that current space that they occupy and create a uh, an accessible museum about the history of education for blind and low vision folks in the Northwest. If you're familiar with our school, you know that we have some semblance of a, uh, of a museum already in place. And we've been working with Washington State University and with several federal grants to figure out exactly what we have and, and make a much more accessible museum. And part of that means getting it out of the basement of that building. As far as the lift space goes, that we are actually asking for uh, funding from the legislature to turn that into space for um, housing for our parents of students who attend the school. Many of the students who attend the school, they live far away. And so it's really difficult for their parents to be there to support them. Sorry, I get emotional about this stuff. Um, to be there to support them in IEP meetings or if they're playing in a goalball tournament or maybe they're performing in a spring concert. And I want their families to be able to play a greater role in their child's education to whatever degree that is. And I want to remove barriers. So we want to create some space on the third floor for parents. Turn those into hotel rooms, basically. Okay. My question is for Department of Services for the Blind. In 2015, I received a certificate from the state of Washington as a certified peer counselor. I've been volunteering with one particular individual but I have not been able to get any job assistance. Um, the program, the mental health program that was that was working with us has shut down. And so um, now any accommodations aren't available. Um, is Department of Services for the Blind um, able to do any, uh, you know, to assist in, you know, job applications and things like that? 
because the job is going to be um, a remote job. I'll be doing it from home. Hi there. This is Lisa. Yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, it certainly sounds like it's something we can help with if it's job readiness or job search assistance. That is a service that we provide. Are you a current participant? Uh, no, I was actually sent to um, IL and I'm not, um, I did, I thought I needed more education or to update my certificate, but I was told since I have a certificate, I can pretty much jump in and with both feet. And that's what I'm ready to do. I have to work part-time, of course, but you know, even part-time is a job. Right. Well, we want to capitalize on that motivation for sure. Um, so I don't know the specifics, but I encourage you for sure to uh, apply for services. If that's something you're interested in receiving support around and to see if you're eligible for services. So I, I guess that's what I could say just sort of very simply. I don't know what the specifics are, like I said, but I would, if you want to start again and you want some assistance in getting work, please give us a call. All right. Thank you. I've even got a location where I'm going to apply. Super. <laughs> thank so yeah, you. all of that information is really helpful and give us a call and we'll see what happens from Thanks there. Okay. All right. And we also have Viola. Hi, okay. Scott. The main building space and all that got me a little emotional too because I went to the school from 1964 to 1977 when I graduated. So it's been a long time and there's been a lot of changes. I'm so glad to know that you are trying to create space for parents because living in the sunny side in the lower Yakima Valley means my parents didn't get to see anything I did. So yeah, it, it kind of makes me emotional because if my parents had been able to come and stay overnight and see a concert or be there for something that I was doing, like track meet or something, that would have meant a lot to me. So I am so glad that you're doing that. Thank you. This is Glenn McCulley. Uh, Lisa, you mentioned uh, having to cut the uh, program for the 9 to 13 year old transition and going to the legislature and, you know, with an ask, what is the dollar figure that we're, you guys, do, do you have that in front of you? And, and also does, does the school collaborate with you on that program or does it? I don't have the dollar figure in front of me of what we're asking for, but we're, we're asking predominantly for some staff, dedicated staff resource, because we aren't able to use our federal grant to serve that group. That's what we were told by the Rehabilitation Service Administration. So we have to ask for standalone state dollars and we want to have resource to be able to do that. So that's what we ask for predominantly is the resource time to provide the workshops for the, the youth in that age group. Um, but as far as partnering with the school on that, we typically, um, I believe we haven't, and but I, I, I don't want to speak because I'm not 100% sure. I think we primarily have been providing that service as an agency uh, as far as resources to family and workshops historically on our own, but I don't know. I, I again, I don't know if that's 100% true, but I, I don't have a youth service specialist or a manager in front of me to give that historical perspective because uh, that's something that I'm not as familiar with in from my experience working at the agency. So I could get back to all of you on that, but I, I see Janet George in the audience shaking no. So she said, we have done some with the school. Oh, go ahead, Janet. We we have done some collaboration with the school, Glenn. Good to hear your voice, by the way. It's not been 
the the main force, but we have worked with the school very collaboratively in different areas across the state, not just in the Vancouver area, but also in Eastern Washington. What could we as a WCB do to help with um, some of the asks that DSB is making? Okay, so that's a good question, Shanna. I might have to follow up on that. I'd like to loop back with WCB about that, especially with Michael McKillop's direction. First of all, I'd like to say to the DSB person, thank you so much for DSB's uh, help. Uh, I became newly blind two years ago, and Sue helped me with cane training and helped me with all kinds of things. John Pensera helped me learn how to use my phone. So first of all, say thank you so much for the work that you guys do. I know that you have good hearts and that your hearts are in the right place. But I want to address something is constructive criticism. And, you know, I know I'm a former federal government employee and we all have egos and it's hard sometimes to receive constructive criticism from your clients. And we're gonna cry, we're gonna get angry. Um, it's not always necessarily about the, the person that's trying to work with us and provide the services. But if they could understand that, and not take it personally and, you know, realize, okay, don't respond, you know, being angry back, but, you know, try and, you know, take it with a grain of salt and then, you know, come back with uh, sympathy and understanding and, and reset the relationship rather than, you know, maybe having a parting of the ways where, oh, you need a new counselor now because you guys kind of disagreed about something. And no way am I saying that um, it's okay for clientele to be abusive to their staff. Um, I'm just saying that if they could be counseled to uh, accept it as constructive criticism and do a reset and reestablish the relationship in a constructive way and ask the client, um, is there anything at the end that more I could be doing for you that I'm not doing right now? I know that um, when I first started, I think that my counselors were new and they didn't tell me about the peer groups that were in the area that I could link up with. And finally, after a year, I found them on my own. And I really, thought it would have been better if they had led with, here's your peer groups in your local area. And if you link up with them, I think that that will be very helpful to your, your uh, spirit in finding your peers. So if I could make that constructive criticism and say, hopefully you can ask them to lead with that with people that are new clients, um, I think that would be helpful at least it would have been in my situation. With the School for the Blind, I'm an artist. And so I want to hook up with you later. <laughs> so this is Lisa from DSP, and I just want to thank you for that comment. Um, it's really critical to get feedback about the work we're doing, not only about the good things, but where we can improve. 
And so as counselors, we know that's really important, giving and receiving feedback. And so thank you for sharing that because it's important to have heart in the work we do, but also be able to have open ears about how we can, you know, and provide service, especially at the end. And I really appreciate that comment specifically, like when we close the loop or close the case, what can we do to send you off? You know, that's really in a positive direction. So thank you for that. And I'm just going to put a plug in since it made me think of this. We do have town halls that we have quarterly that are Zoom events in the evening. And that kind of comment you just gave made me really think of that. So if you you do all know of those, I think we do put it on our website and Liddell Lockwood communicates that out to uh, the consumer groups as well. Please attend because it's a great opportunity for us to hear from you all about these types of things, what's working well, where we can improve. And so um, thank you. My name is Doreen Cornwell. And, um, as a member of the Advocacy and Government Affairs Committee, I want to put in a plug for the legislative website, leg.wa.gov. It's big and clunky. And if you're following legislation, you're going to go back to only two or three parts of it. There's also some instructional videos about how the legislature works. They're not super great about the website because um, you're going to wind up figuring it out more just with JAWS or your screen reader but they're really valuable. DSB puts out a list every year of bill trackers and uh, WCB will be helping put out particular emphasis on accessible voting legislation and on our uh, accessible label campaign. And that there might be something, you know, really subtle, like we need this budget piece and this other piece. I'm going to suggest the advocacy committee and government affairs committee that we maybe do a Zoom call before the session about different things to do with working with legislators. But I had a question for the panel. Well, several of you talked about doing remote work, and I'm curious, are there places in Washington where maybe the internet access isn't up to speed or up adequate for what you need, or what are your observations about that? This is Scott, I'll attempt to answer that. Yes, I think we have run into situations where there are places across Washington where the internet access is not reliable or um, the bandwidth isn't enough. We we certainly saw that. We, had, we didn't see this with employees so much, but we saw this when uh, students were sent home initially during the pandemic. There were places around the state where we had to get hotspots out there, and even those hotspots weren't working really well in some locations. So yeah, I think that is a challenge. and. Um, I mentioned remote work for our jobs that we're opening. I have had interest expressed in those jobs from California, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, um, Louisville, Kentucky. So we mean really remote. People could be all over for some of these jobs. Denise? First of all, I want to say hi, Danielle. Hi, Scott. I just miss you guys so much. And I miss being where there's good agencies for the blind. Scott, my question is for you. I know it's just almost November. So it's still early in the year. But first of all, do you know how many graduates you're going to have this year? And I'm just curious, how did you handle graduations during COVID? Good question. I don't know the answer to the first one on how many graduates we'll have at the end of this year. I probably should know that, but I don't. Um, how we handled graduation, a, a couple different ways. That I think the most inventive way was outside around the track, and we bought all these uh, branded tents, WSSB branded tents, set them up six feet apart for each family unit, for each graduate, as they made around our track. So the graduates, when they were announced to receive their diploma, actually went to the bar around our track 
track and then made their way up to a podium, which was really awesome because one of the students who was graduating, I'll never forget it, but when they called her name to get her diploma, she left her family unit, which was under this tent. And I'll step away for a little bit from the mic, but screamed, ah! as she ran all the way up to receive her diploma. It was like she won the prices right. And maybe she did. It was awesome. So as you can tell, we made lemonade out of lemons in that situation. And it worked out. It did rain really hard, but we had all those tents. So the hardest thing was then hearing the folks because the rain was coming down on the tents really hard. But whatever, we made it work. Kim, this is Heather. I've been waiting for quite a while. So I'm just going to sneak in real fast. I have a question or actually a comment for Lisa at DSB, and I'm sure I would probably get a lot of support in this room. I would strongly encourage you to continue working on getting accessible forms for blind and visually impaired people to fill out with a Department of Services for the Blind. I feel that should be really important. Thank you. Okay, this is a multi-part door prize. We have a $20 in cash from uh, UBS. We have handmade bracelet from Carrie Bishop. And we have a deep dish rhubarb pie from J.R. Kennison. And the winner is John Moberg. Oh, one more door prize. This is $25 Walmart card from WCB Diabetics, uh, $25 gift uh, visa card from PCB, and a bracelet from Carrie Bishop, Kevin Burkery. Yeah. All right. Congratulations.